right, thank you so much, worship team. That was uh, such a beautiful song. And what a great way to bring us into a sermon about peace. So good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. They say a third time's a charm, but a fourth one never hurt anyone, so good morning, everyone. I gotta say, the sun is shining, the streets are in perfect drifting condition, the snow is white, and there's a double-double in my stomach, so life is good, I've never been happier. (laughs) Let's pray together this morning. God, you're good. You're great. You're incredible. You're amazing. Nothing can draw us away from your love. Nothing we do can make you love us any less, and nothing we do can make you love us any more. Your love is complete. Your love is whole. Your love is so great that you sent your son to die for us, to give up his life that we might live. God, and we want to remember that this Christmas season. No matter what trials get thrown our way, no matter what happens in our lives, we can remember that you are great and you are good and you're with us in the midst of the storm. God, I pray as I'm up here this morning that that your word would be heard, that no matter what happens up here, no matter what message is given, that your word would be heard and your words would be spoken. If there's something that needs to be said, that people would hear it. And Lord, I just just thank you so much for for how great you are and how much you've blessed us with this in in this life and how much you'll bless us with in the next. So I pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and in your name, amen. So I was going to start this morning off with a joke, but uh, I uh, figured I'd start with a Bible verse instead. So I would like you, if you uh, have a Bible close to you, if you have your phone or, uh, or a computer, if you would turn to uh, the story of Luke, verses 8 to 20. That's the story of the shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Uh, The glory of the Lord shone around them, sorry, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be the cause of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. How scared would you have been as a shepherd, just chilling out, washing your socks, and the glory of the Lord shines all around you, out of the darkness, without any warning. It says they were terrified, but I can't even begin to think of a word that would cut it for me. But they hear the good news and the heavenly songs of the angels, and they decide to go check on the situation for themselves. Lo and behold, what the angels said was true. And they go and they tell everybody, in the middle of the night, just woke everybody up, 
And they went on their way, glorifying and praising God. Something you might not, uh, you, you may or may not know about shepherds at this time is that although they were essential, um, they weren't exactly high class. They, as people, were judged by most people. They did the grunt work. They were pretty rough around the edges, and although their socks might be clean, all of them, I'm sure, guarantee could use a shower. But even so, they go out and they wake the whole town of Bethlehem up. And they return rejoicing. I can only imagine that they were feeling an amount of peace, such an incredible amount of peace, that I can only hope to experience one day when I get to heaven. But why? See, I've got a story about peace and serenity. I was working in northern Alberta for most of the summer, if you haven't heard me talk about it already, and uh, as soon as I got back, I repacked my bags and I headed up to Jasper with a couple of buddies of mine. One of the days we went to the Maline Canyon, really just such a beautiful place. If you're ever in that area, you gotta go for sure. We were hiking and we walked off the path a little bit, you know, like a couple of typical teenage boys, and we came to this cliff. I'm standing there. I've got my best friends right beside me. I'm staring over the Athabasca. The guys beside me are silent, calm. The sun is bright. The only sound you could hear is the soft rushing of the water deep in the canyon below. I should have been at peace, but I wasn't. You know, I'm thinking I should have flexed harder in that last picture. I'm way too skinny. Or, like, I'm going to start lifting when I get home, right? I'm too pasty. I really didn't get a good tan this summer. Or my supper was way too expensive last night. You know, man, I'm really not a great influence on my Christian friends. I should pray more. I don't do that often. I'm on vacation. I should be enjoying myself. But my own mind got me all riled up. Have you ever met someone who isn't troubled by their own mind? Because I sure haven't. It's so easy to not be at peace. Now, don't get me wrong. It's hard to deal with the conflict and with the turmoil, but it's not hard to create it or to get sucked right into the middle of it. See, the main problem we have when we're unable to find peace is the center of so many of our problems. It's the inability to fully and completely surrender yourself, your situations, and your turbulence to God. Not only does that hinder our ability to find peace, it also forces us to try to do it on our own which, as I'm sure you all know, is a real tough thing to do. Merriam-Webster's defines peace as the freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Uh, you can while away an hour or two in peace and seclusion. Or archaically, it's used as a uh, order to remain silent. You know, peace, be still. We've all heard that one before. And both are agreeably accurate definitions of peace. But the majority of time when peace comes up in the Bible, it's translated from the Hebrew word shalom, completeness, success, fulfillment, wholeness, harmony, security, well-being. The concept of friendship and harmony in the midst of violence or a lack of conflict but with the freedom from fear. From this, we can break peace or at least the peace I'll be talking about today into Three parts, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with people, and a right relationship with yourself. And it all stems down to one reoccurring issue, our inability to completely submit to God. Let's see what that looks like. Now, the Bible commands us to have peace, 
Uh, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, written down in uh, Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you know, the, the song that we learned in, uh, in Sunday school. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Commands for dwelling in peace at the feet of Jesus, as well as living in peace without conflict with your neighbors, friends, and family, they're all over the Bible. So first point, we know we're supposed to have peace, we know we're supposed to live in peace. Next, we'll look at why that's so hard. One reason it's hard is because we, as humans, are simply wired to think that we're the center of the universe. I mean, think about it. I'm always self-conscious when I walk in a room filled with people. Why? Because I feel like every single eye in that room is drawn right to me the moment I enter. It's just how we are. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm sure we all are in one way or another, and that's because we're the center of our own world. So it's hard to imagine a world that we're not the center of. We've never experienced it. This looks like a lot of different things. Yeah, thinking you're the center of everyone's attention, or thinking that your opinion is the only right opinion, or completely disregarding somebody else's ideas or their values simply because they aren't yours. Like I said, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else is, but centering yourself rather than God in your life, and failing to surrender is not a good way to find peace. A second reason is because we live in a busy world. That's so true, isn't it? In my story earlier, when I was looking over the Athabasca, I clearly remember that moment. Because although even I, internally I wasn't feeling peace, it was because I clearly remember that moment. Because it stands out. Moments like that don't happen often. Our world is full of hustle and bustle. With the move to urbanization, globalization, and a ton of otherizations I'm sure I'm missing, everybody has something to do, somewhere to be, and there's just never enough hours in a day. On the off chance you do get away from all the turbulence, just reach into your pocket and pull out your phone. You know, there's uh, never a lack of busyness and conflict on there, but these things are out of your control. There's nothing you can do to slow down a world as busy as this. It's just too great a task. But you can find peace by being like Martha's sister Mary, to dwell at the feet of Jesus. A third reason we can draw away from this last one. Because so many things are out of our control, but we try to control them anyway. We can't control the weather, but I can tell you for free that it sure does stress some farmers out. We can't control the traffic or when the light turns red, but I know for sure it's a big cause of conflict for a lot of people. As humans being, we fear giving up control. But all this trying to control things has gotten in the way of finding peace in Jesus. You can strain yourself to achieve peace on your own, but ultimately you're doing nothing but straining yourself. See, I know what it's like to overextend your time and overextend your efforts. It works, but it's not sustainable. I, some reason, agreed to write a sermon in the middle of final season. 
it works, but I definitely don't want to do it all the time. A f- but a fleeting moment of peace created by your own efforts is followed by a crash that was worse than the start, and it simply just isn't worth it. Well, now we know all the ways not to find peace. Why don't I fill you in on some that ways to actually find it? Does that sound good? So in any situation where I'm in conflict, I'm stressed, I'm worried, or anything that is the polar opposite of peace, I go to the story of a specific person. That person was incredibly good at finding peace and sharing it with other people, as I would hope the word peace was literally in his name. I'm talking about Jesus, the Messiah, our Prince of Peace. But how did Jesus find peace throughout his life when he was living in a world just as turbulent with just as much conflict as we live in today? The answer is pretty simple in concept. I'm only going to bring up one passage for this because I think it's a perfect example. It comes from Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus in the garden. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is such an incredible story, and it just stands out to me so much. It's hard to see the humanity of Jesus when you're reading the Bible. It's easy to see Jesus as God, and it's easy to see him performing miracles and great tasks and forgiving people in the name of Jesus and resisting temptation. It's easy to see Jesus as God. But this story is just so raw, so real. We see the real humanity of Jesus. He's struggling with his own submission to God, He knows he's going to die, and he knew it was coming after for him. And he pleads, please, God, take this cup from me. Please, Father, let this be lifted off my shoulders. But he has the strength to say, yet not as I will, but as you will. Such an incredible peace in his life to fully submit himself to God and to the will of God for the greater picture. That's something most of us could not do. So how does Jesus? Like I said, it's simple in concept. It's easy to say, but it's something that turns out to be so difficult to actually do, to actually accomplish. But we can't do it on our own. My favorite pastor, C.H. Spurgeon, actually wrote an entire sermon just on this. He says, To help you to a settled peace, let me, first of all, urge upon you to obey the comprehensive command of James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. There, that's it. All I've got to take. That's it. Sermon's over. I'm kidding, of course. It wouldn't be a good message if I didn't keep going for another 30, 40 minutes, right, Nick? I'm kidding again, of course. But that's it. That's what the Bible commands we do to find completeness, success, fulfillment, wholeness, harmony, security, well-being. Listen to the command, submit yourselves to God. According to the connection, the spirit within many people shows that they have not submitted themselves to God. Lust, envy, strife, contention, jealousy, anger, From the moment Eve stretched out her hand to pick the forbidden fruit, mankind has been universally guilty of the lack of conformity to the will of God. 
We choose our own ways and we won't submit our wills. We think our own thoughts, we won't submit our understanding. Love earthly things and will not submit affections. True peace ultimately comes from God. We know that. But in order for us to really, truly bask in the wholeness and completeness of God's peace, we need to wholly and completely submit everything to him. I remember way back when I started talking, I said we could break down peace into three categories. Well, the first one is a right relationship with others, the first leg of a stool, if you will. In order to have peace with other people, you need to let God do his thing. Conflict with other people stems from giving up control in other people's lives or in an area that is completely separate from anything personal. If someone isn't living, leading, acting the way you think they should, give it up. Submit wholly to God. We have to trust God enough to obey him. He's got a plan, and if you support it, it'll happen. If you oppose it, well, guess what? It's going to happen anyway. I'm going to be repeating this a whole lot in the next couple minutes, but it's kind of the point of my whole sermon, so just bear with me here. We need to submit our relationships with others to God. Let him take the driver's seat if we want to have a right relationship with people. This means following his commands to love unconditionally, forgive endlessly, have patience that baffles people. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to be completely void of conflict in our relationships with people. But what it means is if God is the center, the relationship will be strong. That relationship will be Christ-centered. And if God's the center of relationship, it's going to make such a peace grow there that you can't even understand it. That transcends understanding. The second leg of our stool, if you're still good with that metaphor, is the right relationship with ourselves. And this comes down to us submitting our lives to God, not our relationships, but our individual lives. His will be done. This isn't just giving up control of your own life, but submitting your anxieties, fears, sins, transgressions, anything that hinders your own internal peace, taking those things captive, locking them in a vault, and giving them up to God. Letting go of things you worry about or mistakes you've made in the past and submitting them to God. Now, God didn't promise he'd keep us from all the troubles. If we want perfection, we're going to have to wait till later. But God did promise that he will work all things out for the good of those who love us or love him and are called according to his purpose. And we can praise him for that. He's not going to promise that he'll keep us free from anxiety, keep us free from depression or trials in our lives. He's not going to keep us from sinning. But if we submit our lives to God, if we submit our sins to God, if we take everything captive and lift it up to him, we can be filled with such an incredible peace, a peace that transcends understanding. Do this correctly and you'll have a two-legged stool. Not much fun to sit on, so we do need a third leg to keep it from falling over, something I learned in physics class. The third leg is a right relationship with God. Giving up control to the will of God in the bigger picture. As human beings, we fear giving up control. Think of the story of Esther. We fear the unknown. We crave certainty in a world that is always uncertain. And the story of Esther, is it chapter four or five? Sorry, I can't remember. Uh, Esther is prompted by Mordecai to go talk to King Xerxes. But Esther's scared because she doesn't know what the king's going to say. She's uncertain. 
but she knows that it's the will of God and she knows that it'll help to save God's people. So she does it anyway and amidst the uncertainty. Think of COVID-19 in this situation. Definitely for sure, none of us saw that coming. But it's this uncertain thing that can happen all the time around us. We can't predict the world. People have tried. People have tried to predict the end of the world, but we can't. It's just not possible. It's this contradiction between the demand for certainty and the reality of, of uncertainty that will continuously play out again and again without resolution. Unless you give up the demand for certainty, it is you who must concede. Reality won't ever give up its uncertainty for you. But there is one thing we can be certain of. The overwhelming, never-ending, unexplainable love of God. That God, in all of his glory, sent his own son, who died in peace, to rescue us from the chains of sin and death. Remember that, always. And you can honestly say, that even when sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with your soul. That song, such a beautiful song, it is well, was written by Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer from Chicago, but one day his whole life got turned upside down when he got a telegram from his wife. All four of his daughters had died in a violent shipwreck on the Atlantic Ocean. On his way to England to be with his grieving wife, he passed near the place where his daughters passed away. He was so filled with peace of God that he composed the song right then and there. In the midst of all of his troubles, of all of his worries, his sorrow, his pain, in the midst of his adversaries, in the middle of his heartache, he was able to submit his life, his relationships, and his entire situation completely to God. He experienced a peace that can only come from one place. Such an incredible piece. Now think of the shepherds rejoicing, glorifying and praising God. I ask why. It's because they had seen firsthand the will of God for the bigger picture and the power to see it through. They've seen the power of what God can do when he when he makes a promise and he follows through on it. They saw it firsthand with their own eyes. And there's no greater joy or peace that comes from that. Making peace looks like submitting yourself to God, submitting your situation to God, following his commands to love one another, forgiving each other, being generous, selfless, and letting God handle the situation because he's got this. there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The sheep weren't in control. That night they were resting because their shepherds were there, watching over them in the middle of the night. God appears to the shepherds Right? He comes back to the earth after thousands of years of being gone and he appears to the shepherds. 
taking care of the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not be in want. He's the shepherd who makes me lie down in green pastures, the shepherd who leads me beside quiet waters, the shepherd who restores my soul. He's the shepherd who guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here's the center of it. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, for you, my shepherd, you're with me. There's no reason to be afraid. We're not alone. Even in the middle of the night, the shepherd is keeping watch over his flock. And the light of the world that night appeared. The glory of God shone everywhere. May the glory of Jesus shine through you and in you this Christmas. Remember that even in the darkest night, the shepherd is right there. You may feel alone. You may feel like you are in the valley of death. He's with you. He's there to comfort you. Let's pray together. Father, today we give you the glory and the honor. You've always been the shepherd and you always will be. From the moment in the Garden of Eden when we decided not to submit anymore, when we took control for ourselves, when we reached out and took what wasn't for us, and broke the relationship that we had with you. Lord, you never gave up on us. I want to thank you that this Christmas, I could be focused, Lord, on all the things I can't control, but you're not calling me to that. You're calling me to submit, to trust that you are enough for me. That it's okay that the world feels overwhelming. I wasn't designed to control it. I was designed to rest in your presence. You are in control. Lord, move in my prideful, stubborn heart. Lord, move in the areas of my life that I will not submit and I will not give up. And Lord, I cry out for peace for my church family. Lord, for our city, give us peace. For our country, give us peace. Remind us in this valley that the shepherd is with us and he never left. Lord, would this peace cover the church this week? Would it take care of us? Would you bring us back together soon? We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come back. It's so hard being here alone. Would you come back again? And thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the comforter. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.